I wanted to talk to you this morning to begin here in Exodus chapter 12, but I wanted to speak to you about the fact that every man must take a lamb, and every one of you here this morning must take a lamb, and I want to bring to your attention the one and glorious lamb that is offered to every one of you. In Exodus 12, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt and said, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house, And he goes into the details of that house and the lamb and that it was to be roasted. It was to be eaten and they were to take this lamb into their house and they were to have their clothes on. They were to have their shoes on. They were to have their staff in hand because after this night they were going on a journey. And so I want to speak to you about this this morning. Every man must take a lamb. You're reading, obviously, about the Passover in Egypt when God would deliver Israel from its bondage. And Israel lived for 400 years under the oppression of Egyptian rule. And they were required, through very harsh measures, to serve the Egyptian people. They they were in this predicament because of their rebellions against God. Because they did not follow the Lord the way that they should. And God brought them into this land because of a famine that had existed hundreds of years before. And Israel finds themselves in this predicament. And into this time of of bondage and turmoil, in 400 years, Israel begins to cry to God for deliverance. And God hears their cry. No doubt this is a time of darkness for Israel. No doubt that Israel probably sees no hope in sight. There seems to be no deliverance in sight. There's not another nation on earth that could really contend with Egypt where it was located and the strength and the might of its empire. And so Israel probably was under a great shroud of darkness and unbelief that they would ever be helped or that deliverance would ever be able to come to them. At least in their lifetime, it didn't seem like anything was moving to bring their rescue and their help. But they, in their hearts, cried to God and God heard their cry. And God brought deliverance to them from an 80-year-old man who was an outlaw and a fugitive because he had committed murder. And he had been away from society and life for about 40 years, tending sheep in the desert. And God had an encounter with this man that we know as Moses. And God instructed and empowered Moses to go to Egypt and to demand the release of his people. And God would challenge the Egyptians by bringing upon them a number of plagues. None of these plagues were designed out of cruelty. But every one of these plagues was a demonstration of God's power in contending with Egyptian gods that the people had worshipped. And God was actually denouncing the false gods that Egypt so wonderfully held to. But no doubt Israel was influenced by And so God challenged these false gods of Egypt through these demonstrations of plagues. And God's power prevailed over all of the false gods. Until they came to the last plague that God would bring upon Egypt. Which would be the release of the people in their captivity. And this is what we call Passover. 
And the people of Israel were to bring a lamb into their home, a lamb that they had brought in and made sure there was no illness or sickness in it. And they were to keep that lamb with them. And on this particular night, they were going to kill the lamb. And they would take the blood from the lamb and they would put it upon the doorpost of their home. And the Bible tells us that God would pass through the land of Egypt. And whenever he saw the blood, he would pass over that house. Now I want you to understand this because it doesn't mean that God would just skip over that house and not visit it. But what God actually did was when he passed through the land of Egypt, he took notice of all of the houses that had the blood applied to it. And God literally passed over it. He, if you would, hovered over it, covered it with himself so that later when the angel of death would pass through the land of Egypt, death would not be able to penetrate that covering of God, go into the home and take the life of the firstborn that was in that home. When God was going through the land of Egypt, in order to protect people that were at his mercy from this angel of death, all he was looking for was blood. There were no questions asked. There was nothing that God ever referred to or required or even asked as to who was in the house. And for all we know, there could have been people in those homes that had the blood on the doorposts that were murderers and adulterers and thieves and criminals and some of the worst people that you could possibly imagine. But none of that was questioned. The only thing that was looked for was the blood, that act of faith that would cry out to God, Lord, have mercy upon us because we really believe you're going to bring judgment through the land of Egypt tonight. And even murderers and adulterers and thieves would go under the covering of that blood into that house. And beloved, when the morning came, everyone that was under that blood came out of that house in the morning alive. They escaped the judgment of God. They escaped the wrath of God. They escaped the angel of death. And they were a part of what became an historic event as it marked the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. They would experience the wonders of God and the power of God as he would part the Red Sea. As God would feed them miraculously with manna. As God would cause a rock to follow them wherever they went that would give them water to drink. God would fight their enemies for them. And God would do wonders for them. And all of the people experienced that. They went through the baptism of Moses. But the one requirement that every one of them had to do was to take a lamb. They had to take a lamb. And you read that in the scriptures. Every man take a lamb. And I ask you this morning, what lamb have you taken? You are required to take a lamb. When you approach God, what are you going to approach God with? There's a knowledge within all of men that there is a deity, there is a power. Even the most profound evolutionist and scientist will admit that we cannot define or explain the origin of life. Even those that hold to the theory of evolution and espouse its teachings will tell you that this is why we believe things have happened in the universe and the cosmos the way that it has happened. 
But we cannot explain to you where it originally began. We cannot explain the origin of life. And they cannot explain that. They, they cannot understand that. And there is a sense within all men, even, even those that understand, there is something where our knowledge comes to its limit and we cannot cross that barrier, that beginning, that existence when nothing was but something was. We believe that to be God. And we know by faith that God created the heavens and the earth. We know that. But not all men know that God did that. But within all men is the sense and the understanding of eternity. And there is a deity to be reckoned with. And men understand that somehow this deity has been offended by us. We have not lived up to the standards of that deity. Whether it is in Greek mythology or whether it is in any other worldwide religion, such as Islam or such as the Mormons or such as the Jehovah Witnesses or whatever it might be, Buddhism or whatever, something is out of balance. Something is not in harmony. Something is not right. Something is off. Something is amiss. And these world religions are all trying to teach people that this is how you come into balance or this is how you come into favor with God and for the Muslims, it would be, you know, you never know if Allah's going to be happy or sad from one day to the next. But if you die in jihad, then you have a good chance of, of being in paradise with Allah. And so there's this knowledge that somehow I have to appease the deity that I must answer to. Now, you're in a Christian church this morning, so I would assume that all of you would come here this morning with an understanding that our God is the Lord He has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And he is the Jehovah God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Israelites, the God of Christianity. This is the one true God and the only God. And this is the God that we worship. And I would assume all of you would have that persuasion in you this morning. I I don't believe that I'm speaking to many Muslims or many Jehovah Witnesses or many Mormons here this morning. But basically, people that are Christian at their core, as far as their philosophy is concerned. And you know that you're going to stand before this God and I ask you what lamb will you bring with you when you stand before this God every man must take a lamb and there are those that have taken the lamb of religion the lamb of works There are those that have taken the lamb of denial, that I deny the reality of this. I deny what you tell me that I have to do to be right with God. I will do it my way, and my way will be good enough, and God will accept me. And you bring that lamb with you, or you bring the lamb that I will do more good than I did bad, and my good will outweigh my bad, and you bring that lamb with you. And I say to you, sir or ma'am, you're going to be greatly disappointed when you stand before God with any of those lambs of religion or good works or denial or the lambs of hopes and and wishes and, and, and dreams that you might have that somehow God will accept me because I did these particular things. I say to you, as John said, when he was here prophesying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold Jesus Christ, because there are many lambs, and there are many lambs that people take. 
But none of these lambs are going to avail for you. None of these lambs are going to rescue you. None of these lambs are going to save you. But there is only one lamb of God, and that is Jesus Christ, who has the power and the efficacy to save your life and to redeem you from death and to spare you from the wrath and the judgment of God. And that is Jesus Christ. And when you come unto Jesus Christ, and I say to you, and many and millions have throughout the centuries, murderers have come, adulterers have come, thieves have come, crooks have come, the corrupt have come, the most vile have come, people who blaspheme God, people who made fun of Christ, people who persecuted the church, they have come to God through the blood of Jesus, and they have escaped his wrath. They have escaped his judgment. And I appeal to you this morning, beloved, that you will make sure that you have the Lamb of God as the one that you are bringing with you. For there is no other high priest than Jesus Christ. There is no one that you want standing with you at the throne of God other than Jesus Christ. John or Paul said in the book of Colossians that this is my hope in heaven. And he says in Colossians chapter 1 that he, Jesus Christ, will present me before the Father blameless, unreprovable, and holy in his sight. That is my lamb. That is the lamb that I take. And may if I can celebrate Jesus this morning. Celebrate the virgin born son of the living God. The incarnate word that has come to dwell among men so that men could dwell with God. He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else in this world or in the world to come. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. The heavens, the earth, the things visible, thrones, dominions, rulers, powers, authorities. There's no thing, there's no place, there's no person that is omitted. The scale on the sea urchin, the hair on the elephant hide. The hurricane that wrecks the coast, the rain that nourishes the desert, the infant's first heart beat, the elderly's last breath. He ranks higher than everything that is or that could be or will be. Everything. There is no exception. Jesus is not just above us. He is preeminently above us. That means of another kind, of another order, of another state. For everything you look at, everything you touch, everything you imagine, everything you could devise, anything you could invent is a creative thing. But Jesus is the creator. He is preeminent. He's not just above us in distance. He is above us in preeminence. There's not another like him and there never will be another like him. Jesus exudes authority. He bats an eyelash and nature jumps at his command. Lightnings and thunders and oceans roaring, storms or even the stillness of them are all at the command of the God of the universe. Hurricanes or gentle harvest rains are all under his authority. He is the master and not only of the earth but of the cosmos. He is the Christ of the galaxies and he is the Christ of your tomorrow. The one who chartered the course of the solar systems and countless trillions of galaxies has ordained your steps. God became a man and the Bible says that he is not ashamed, which I think is one of the most remarkable statements the Bible could ever give us. 
is that this holy preeminent God is not ashamed to be called your brother. That is remarkable. Even in heaven, he is still Jesus Christ who died. The lamb who is worthy. The king of the universe commands comets with a human tongue and directs celestial traffic with a human hand. Still human, still divine, living forever. Go to the spiritual heart of this created universe and you will find a man. Go to the place where angels bow who never fell and you will find a man. Go to the very center of the manifested glory of the invisible God and you will find a man. True human nature, one of our own race, mediating the glory of God to us. The greatest forces in the cosmos understands and intercedes for you. We have an advocate with the Father. Not just any man, but the man. Not just someone, but the one. Not an angel, not an, not, not the mightiest angel, not a group of the mightiest angels, not even a host of cherubims are interceding, but Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of God is intermediating for me, and He's not ashamed to call me His brother. Why? Because I came under the blood. Not because I'm good, not because I'm holy. I'm the most unholy, the most corrupt. But I came under the blood. And when I came under the blood, I passed out of judgment. And I passed out of wrath. And I passed out of condemnation into life. Blessed life. Wonderful life. And now Jesus is mine and I am his And what's so sad is Christians are going to gather in churches all over America who have had no contact with Jesus. No contact with him hardly at all. Even during this week of celebrating his coming to earth, the most many Christians have done is maybe open their Bibles and read a few passages. Maybe said a few prayers. Maybe said a Christmas blessing over your meal. But to spend that time in his presence... And long for him and love him to where your heart moves within itself from the affections for him that you cannot even contain yourself. Oh, this beautiful, beautiful Jesus. No, I take Jesus. I take Jesus every time. Jesus is my lamb. I run to him every time. Every man take a lamb. I take Jesus. And the beautiful thing is there's enough of him for every one of us. Enough of him. For every one of us, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5 that Jesus is our Passover who is sacrificed for us. That's my Lamb. That's the blood that I claim and believe in. That blood that can wash my sins away. Napoleon Bonaparte said of himself and other world leaders who were bent on conquest. That we are all together weak and eccentric. But Jesus... Everything about him astonishes me. His spirit overwhelms me. His will confounds me. Between him and others in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. He is truly a being all by himself. The truths which he announced, his manner of convincing, are not explained either by human organization or even by the nature of things. His birth and the history of his life The profundity of his doctrine, which grapples with the mightiest difficulties among men. His gospel, his empire, his march through the ages is for me a prodigy, a mystery 
unsolvable, which plunges me into a reverence which I cannot escape, a mystery which I can neither deny or explain. I see in him something beyond human. His religion is a revelation from an intelligence which certainly is not that of man. There is a profound originality with Jesus, which has created a series of words and maxims before unknown. Jesus barred nothing from our sciences. One can find nowhere but in him alone such a life as his. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus is not a man. Superficial minds may see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. But that that resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and whatever other religion, the distance of infinity. I have searched in vain throughout history to find an equal to Jesus Christ. I have not found the equal. I will not live much longer, and I suppose there will never be one who comes who is his equal. And that's my brother, Jesus Christ, my Savior, my love. And Moses said, when you eat this, it'll be the beginning. It'll be the first of the month now. Everything changes And with our Passover Jesus, it's the beginning. It's not a fresh start. It is a whole new creation. It's not just the beginning of a new life where you have a new chance and you have a new outlook like a some ridiculous New Year's resolution. Oh no, it's not that. It is a new creature. It is a new mind. It is a new heart. It is a new spirit. It is a new life. It's a new destiny. It's a new lover. It's a new marriage. It's a new joy. It's a new freedom. Everything is new once you come into this lamb. For when he entered the world, heaven was able to rejoice. And God was able to declare peace on earth, goodwill to man. For this was the day when men would enter into peace with God. And sinners would be reconciled to God and now become his sons and his daughters and find everlasting life. For a virgin would give birth. For unto us a child is born, and a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is. How could I ever be mad at his church? How could I ever be mad at his people? Jesus is wonderful. Counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting father. The prince of peace. And of the increase of his government. And his peace. There shall be no end. What lamb did you take? I take Jesus. Many of you have heard this before. But for some you may not have. It's an old rendering. And I just paraphrase it to you this morning. 
born in an obscure village. He worked in a carpenter shop for 30 years. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. His friends ran away from him. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through a mockery of a trial. And he was nailed on a cross between two thieves. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a barred grave through the pity of a friend. And centuries have come and gone. Today, he is the centerpiece of the human race and human history. Inarguably. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that were ever built and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life, Jesus Christ. How do you explain him? You smart people that have not taken the lamb. How do you explain it? Please tell me. God has raised him from the dead. The Bible declaring that this is the loud declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He has left on this earth a church full of power and supernatural ability that has affected generations in the name of this Jesus Christ ever since he went to heaven and he is soon to come back. And the great attraction of Jesus Christ, why have men throughout the centuries left everything to follow him? Why have they done that? Why have men chosen Jesus over jobs? Why have men chosen the kingdom of God over the kingdom of men? Why have people through the centuries laid their lives down because they refused to recant their faith in Jesus Christ? Why have parents in the past watched their children die for the sake of following Jesus Christ? Why are there countless numbers of martyrs by the tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands who shed their blood because they believed in this Jesus Christ? What is the holding power of this Jesus Christ if he is not real? If he was a figure of human history in the past, but not the hallmark of the present history of the world, what is it about him that grips the hearts of even so many of you that have suffered in life because you have chosen to follow the Lamb of God? Your families did not like that. People think you're crazy. People think you're fanatical. People think you're too much of this Christian thing. You need to have balance in your life. Brother, there ain't no sense of balance when it comes to Jesus Christ. Forsake everything for him. Everything. And you gain everything when you have him. And I understand why people feel this way. I understand that people want to be the Lord of their own life. And that's the lamb that they chose. I want a little bit of Jesus' lamb, and I want a little bit of this is lamb, and I want a little bit of this lamb. No, every man a lamb, not parts of lambs, a lamb. And I choose Jesus because he's the king of what you ask, of kings. And he's the Lord. 
of what you ask of lords. And did you catch it when I said of his kingdom and his peace, there'll be no end? And by this alone, he is worthy. The apostle Paul had no love or affection for Jesus when he first met him. Saul of Tarsus hated Jesus. Like maybe some of you do this morning. He hated him. He hated his name. He hated his church. And he wanted to do everything in his power to put an end to Christianity and Jesus Christ and his followers. And one day when Jesus appeared to the apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus in that moment, it wasn't because Saul was looking for Jesus or loved Jesus or realized that he was wrong. He just happened to meet the one that he was persecuting. And Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus, why do you persecute me? And it wasn't because of love or affection or anything. It was just because Paul knew this. You are the Lord. And I submit to you. I submit to you. I choose Jesus because I don't need a little savior. I need a great savior. I don't need... A little bit of love. I got to have. If somebody's going to get me from earth to heaven. And put up with me on a daily basis. I need a Jesus. A savior with unconditional love. I need a savior who is strong enough to bear me up. Because of the multitude of days. I'm going to be too weak to go on. I need a savior who will be patient. To produce in me holiness and sanctification. By the working of his power. I need a mighty savior. I don't need somebody weak. I don't need somebody temporary. I don't need a new start because I'll ruin it the next day. I need a savior every day. I need a savior this morning and tonight. And I need a savior tomorrow. And I need a savior next week and next month and next year. And all the time until Jesus comes back to get his church. I need this savior. I need a great one and a mighty one. And I found him in Jesus Christ. I don't need truth. I need truth that can set me free. I don't need suggestions, instructions, and demands. I need a savior. I don't need the ignorant, unsympathetic size of disgust from the morally whole. I need the unimaginable, incomprehensible mercy of God. I don't need to hide scripture memorization in my mind. I need Jesus in my heart. I can't try hard enough, work long enough, or sorrow deep enough. I need the limitless, generous, loving power of the Holy Spirit. I can't tame, change, or clean my flesh. It must die, but death is not the goal. I need the life of God and the communion of the Father. Please don't tell me to be stronger. All my powers utter contempt. And don't tell me how you did it. How strong you are. How much you delight in your holiness. I need to rejoice in the holiness of another. I need a redeemer. I need a savior. I need a lamb. Who will do for me what I cannot do for myself. Counsel me. But when you're done counseling me, be sure I am not one bit stronger. 
I'm only now more responsible and knowledgeable regarding the crimes my flesh would run to. So counsel me. But now I'm only educated. I'm not changed. But counsel me. And when you're done, pray for the keeping power of God. Pray for the Savior of all men to be my portion and my deliverer and my life giver. I need a Savior, a ruler to possess me. A sovereign to whom my whole will must submit. I need a father so that I'm not the subject of a tyrant. But the liberated, thankful, joyful son of the king. I need to love and to be loved. Not by any. But by the great hand that I have offended. And whose heart has sent forth for me mercy instead of judgment. And kindness instead of revenge. And Jesus instead of angels. So here's my prayer, dear Heavenly Father. I have trusted in your loving kindness. That loving kindness which has loved me with an everlasting love. Which forgives, which cleanses, and will never get tired of me. Father, I lean hard and heavy on you. I rest not, I lean not, nor have any confidence in my vows, in my efforts, or my promises. Upon you alone, O blessed Father, I place all hope. I lean with rest upon the faithfulness of your great heart. I rejoice in the shadow of your wings. So great a salvation. I bow my head and humbly thank you for the Savior that you gave. And I so desperately needed. You so graciously provided. Now to you, my Savior, my Jesus. That is able to keep me from falling. Who alone is able to present me faultless before the presence of your father's glory. With exceeding joy. You. Oh Jesus. My wise savior. The only God. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. And that's my prayer. And I'll just say to you this morning. You have a lamb, you do, every one of you. You picked it up along the way. I don't know what day it was for you, but you picked it up and you took it. It's your hope. It's your hope. And for some of you this morning, your lamb is not giving you much hope. Hasn't made much of a difference in your life. Remember when Israel was in this house in Egypt. And they were taking the Passover lamb. They were to be dressed. Shoes on. And staff in hand. Because they're going on a journey. It's very easy to tell what lamb a person has taken. Because the lamb you take is the lamb that leads you. It's very easy to tell. You spend a little time with somebody and you can tell the lamb that they're following. This lamb is the only one that goes in a different direction than all the others. For all the others go in a particular direction that all leads to destruction. But this lamb is leading us to his home. And it becomes the longing of your life. You have a different walk. 
after you've taken this lamb. It's not that you can't do the things that you used to do. But you don't want to do the things that you used to do. You don't go to the places you used to go to. And if you were to go in that direction, your lamb would quickly gravitate you back to him with gentle chastenings or severe, whatever the need was to keep you in him. There is no gospel and there is no grace that does not change your walk and change your life. And this lamb changes it all. So you can tell. Some of you are still pursuing jobs and money and fame and careers. Happy family, happy life. You like your little Christianity put in with everything else. And all your contentment and all your little things in order. And everything's straight. And this is my life. And you can tell what your lamb is. There was no question who Amy Carmichael's lamb was. There was no question. The lamb has made the difference for me. If you're dry this morning, if you're callous this morning, if you're spiritually bankrupt this morning, you need a new lamb. You need Jesus. And he's for you. His blood is for you. You don't need church. You don't need another promise. You don't need to make another vow. Because you'll break it. You won't keep it. But Jesus is for you. And if you will turn to him and come into him. Which is repentance. And you come into his blood. You're going to find something so much more than life. And forgiveness of your sins. You're going to find someone. Someone who gives you joy. And who gives you happiness. Someone that your soul adores. And that you never get tired of loving. Are worshiping. Are serving. People come along your life and they'll say, you know what? You're just a little fanatical about all this stuff. You're just a little fanatical about a lamb. You're just a little bit fanatical about Christianity. And I get it. You just don't know my lamb. Because he does this to everyone he takes in. Everyone. Consumes them. And I want to say this, this world, it's his. Whatever you see on TV, whatever you see going on in the world, don't think for one moment it's the politicians that are moving everything in the direction that it is. It is God setting the stage for the exceeding glory of the Lamb's return.